Welcome to the How to Write and Self-Publish Your Travel Book Show. This podcast brings you the most up-to-date and relevant advice, tips, and strategies to get your travel book in front of a global audience. And here's your host, travel writer and digital nomad, Jay Artali. Hello, and today we're talking about planning and writing a memoir, and we're joined by travel memoir author Carol Duval, who's the author of Trying Lives. And Trying Lives is a house-sitting memoir. It spans a four-year period when Carol and her husband traveled the globe living at other people's houses. We'll find out more about where Carol's travel bug came from and how she started house-sitting, and then we're going to dive into the intricacies of writing a memoir. We're covering the impact of blogging before you write your book and how to use your blog content to create the first draft and the challenges Carol faced when she tried that approach. Then we chat about structuring a memoir using a chronological, geographic and thematic outline approach and how mind maps can be used to detangle that process and help you see patterns within your content. Finally, we'll talk about creating a seamless narrative structure within your memoir and how Maslow's hierarchy of needs helped Carol bring her memoir together. So Carol, welcome to the show. Very pleased to be here, Jay. Now we featured Carol in an author interview over on the blog. And when you read that, you'll discover what motivated Carol to start writing. But now that I've got you here, Carol, I want to know where does your travel bug come from? Well, you know, like many Aussies, I have family links in the UK. So my first adult travel experience was, you know, the big year abroad in my early 20s. I'd saved enough money to travel in a Euro pass to see all the main sites, but I also wanted to visit some of the places I'd studied in my early English degree, including Scandinavia, which is why and how I met up with my husband, an American, who was travelling around Scandinavia when I was there on the Viking Trail. And so when we got married, that took us to the States and later to Thailand, where he was based with the US Air Force. So we travelled around Thailand, travelled around the US while he was in the Air Force. Once he left that, he became a civilian and his work took us to the UK for a few years, Hong Kong and Singapore. So really, it became a way of life. And now that we've lived in so many different places, we keep cycling back, you know, that we, we're living here, but when we've lived in other places, we meet new people through work, and now it's pet-sitting and swapping, but it's a bit like throwing a stone in the pond, a ripple effect. You stay away for a while, you meet more people, you get very attached to a place, and we just keep wanting to go back and sort of fell into it in a way. And what got you started with house-sitting? We had so many connections everywhere. We needed a way to get back to the UK particularly and be able to do it fairly inexpensively. You just can't continue to stay in hotels and things for very long. We wanted to stay along for a while. Somebody recommended house sitting and pet sitting and uh, and we tried that and it, the two worked very, very well together. We found with the house sitting and swapping and, and with the exchanges, the neighbours are very kind and very considerate and it's quite easy to become part almost part of community that way 
There's no way you'd get that otherwise, you know, through a hotel. Really is like a quick fix for an insider track of getting to know a place. <laughs> exactly, precisely. That's how we find mm-hmm. it too. Much of your house-sitting travels, they were inspiration behind your book. So let's look at writing your memoir. You mm. started a travel blog for family and friends when you were living overseas. And do you think that was uh, helpful before you decided to write your book or do you think it was a bit of an impediment? No, look, it was invaluable. I mean, the bottom line is there wouldn't be a book if I hadn't started with a blog. I mean, whenever I've travelled in the past, I've always written postcards, you know, usual Christmas letter and so on. But we met a couple to discuss a future pet sit at their house in Spain. They were travelling around Southeast Asia as well. They were doing quite an extensive trip and they were doing this travel blog. So we got on their list and we were reading their travel blog. If it hadn't been for that, the idea would never have occurred to me. But weirdly, around the same time, I'd taken part in a focus group and I knew it would be a, was going to be about travel and I knew it was to, to do with the baby boomer generation. But that's all I knew. So... It turned out to be in a beautiful house right on Sydney Harbour looking out over the Opera House and gradually it became clear that the whole focus group was about cruises and specifically Viking cruises. So just as we were about to get up and leave, this elegant young woman emerged and she said she was the CEO for Viking Australia and since she's enjoyed so much listening to what everyone had had to say, she offered us to go on a cruise with Viking Free. All we had to do was to keep a travel blog and come and chat with her on our return. So we chose a Russian trip, the waterways of the Tsars, and um, we went on that. And um, I'd be spending a couple of hours a day doing the blog. Mm -hmm. The blog entries, they were invaluable because they moved me away from my usual audience of family and friends to writing for a more general audience. So when I came to writing the book, I used that same method to work out manageable chapters, really, for the book. But uh, it would not have happened without, first of all, doing the travel blog and then doing the Viking blog, which helped me uh, you know, realise you could write these discrete, interesting sections. When you were planning your book, did you take your blog content and then try and shoehorn it into a book or did you take a step <laughs> back and then and try and plot out the story that you were trying to tell? Oh, Jay, that was, uh, it was a challenge. It really, really was. Um, At first I thought, we had friends, my friends were saying, oh, please, you know, write, write, why didn't you write a book about it? It was so fun reading about all your travels and the blog was great. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I thought it would be just to be a matter of (laughs) easy, you know, just writing the blog up as a book. No way. So once I started, I realised that this isn't there. These are two very, very different things. I wanted to write a book that still kept the elements of the blog that my friends liked, those sort of idiosyncratic events that I was writing about and, and, and conversational style. But I'd also had quite a lot of political and philosophical musings through it too. I needed to reconstruct everything that had happened but try and figure out how to bring these two elements together. Because it was house and pet sitting and house swapping, this was really the key to our last few years of of travel. What complicated things was that it was going over about a three or four year period in the UK and Australia. We had rented a house in the Cotswolds. While we were in the house, we went on some pet seats. Some of it was in Europe. Some of it, it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. So how could I structure it all? It was a huge problem. Also, this political musing stuff. I know, how was I going to fit that? Do I keep to a safe bland book? 
do I go full hog into into these political musings? So I couldn't even get started. I was totally blocked. I worked out an outline that was roughly chronological but not completely, which would be way too confusing because of all those geographical changes. It's a great question you ask about structure being, you know, because after thinking through the tone and style and thinking, okay, I'll go with that, that was the next big hurdle. So what I did, I made this kind of mind map on paper with all these elements and drew arrows and circling and linking them all together, trying to find out how to organise it all. And that was useful because it made it easier to create a narrative structure that appeared seamless, even if it wasn't strictly chronological, but it would make sense logically. So I ended up with a kind of circular structures, starting with Nimbin, and the last section ends with Nimbin, along with all the Australian sets all lumped in together, even though chronologically they didn't happen that way. By looking at that mind map, it was clear that some elements worked together thematically or geographically. So that's why I decided to write the book in eight sections uh, that are mainly geographical, and then I divided each of those sections into chapters. And each chapter is quite discreet and can stand alone. So, for example, uh, the biggest section, A Year in the Country, that's divided into four chapters, one for each season, and it's chronological within itself. But there was another problem that we did some sits in the UK a year later that I wanted to include somewhere there, but it wouldn't go in there at all. I mean, there's no, it just didn't fit. So I came up with the idea of creating a section towards the end of the book called Hits, Misses and Close Shaves, which made it easier to include those sits that didn't fit chronologically anywhere else. Now, then I had another problem. I had to figure out how to include these three types of sets. Obviously, it was going to be three chapters, hits, misses, and close shaves. But I solved it by having two hits chapters, one big one, all about a favourite pet, Merlin, and a favourite place, High Hope Barn. And then the next chapter, I called it Perfect Homes Endearing Pets. So then I could put in there all these lovely other lovely houses and lovely pets, but uh, they didn't fit chronologically, but that's all right, didn't matter. And then I could have one chapter for both Mrs. and Close Shaves, and that was fine because there weren't that many, <laughs> fortunately. But um, that presented me with another problem, how to organise these Mrs. and Close Shaves. So another mind map came to my rescue I wrote down all the places that weren't that great or or places that we didn't even take on because we realised they were less than ideal. And when I looked at them all, I love these mind maps, you know, they're so useful. I found one common element. All of them had one thing in common, space. And I realised it was all about either not having enough physical space with the cramped quarters or one place had books from ceiling to all over, all up the stairways, everything under the bed, over the bed, or lack of privacy, or too many animals overflowing all over the place on the bed, on the sofa, everywhere. So that was my hook, and so that chapter became Space Invaders with the hits and misses all Love together. Love it. Every chapter has a narrative arc of some sort. Whenever I started writing each chapter, it became clear pretty quickly what would be the focal aspect 
of that. And uh, the focal aspects were all quite different. It was interesting really to see what each would be in each chapter. They all were all quite different. Could have been a season or the weather, um, like the year in the country where it was a season, or um, terrible storms or wind, as in blown away by Brill, or it could be an animal like Merlin. So each one had quite a different focal point. Mm -hmm. So you talked about narrative arc in your sections and chapters. What would you say your overall narrative arc was? Well, interesting because all of the chapters could be completely standalone, but the last chapter you needed to have read the whole book to to get it really. Um, which was what I wanted to summarise my thoughts about this way of travelling, give some tips, as I said. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I did the mind map again. And as I wrote down what I'd learnt, what the tips were, what what had worked, what I was looking for, what didn't work, I don't know whether you know the psychologist Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. Yes, definitely. Right, okay. So it just started, that appeared, it just started to take shape. And I realised if I were going to give, the ones that I liked the most, I was going to give uh, my advice to someone, the lower order, really, really basic needs, like the physical space, physical comfort, they are most important (laughs) when I evaluated any sit or whether I'd even agree to take one on. And then moving up the hierarchy, others, other needs, they weren't as essential but really valuable, you know, like discovering, going to someplace new or learning how to do something new, looking after a new kind of animal, for example, or being in some beautiful natural landscape. They were a bonus. So that gave me a way of structuring that last chapter and rounding out whole book as you were just asking about the whole thing that way of traveling as a form of self-actualization you know of fostering personal growth the highest point in the hierarchy so the whole process of writing a blog or, or a book creating this physical product is to me the highest form of self actualization you know it's a creative activity valuable just for its own sake I'm so glad you asked me that question because it is, I hadn't really thought about the narrative of the whole, but it is. It's coming to that conclusion at the end that the writing of the book was the best thing of all. Really. Yeah, and I think if you do a lot of travel, you, you've always got that hierarchy of needs in, in your back pocket because you're looking for a place to live and you're looking for somewhere to eat. You can't think about anything else if you haven't got those two basic mm-hmm. needs met. And I've been... Um, drafting my own memoir I've been referencing that hierarchy of needs you're kidding really whilst I've been writing some of my content chapters it's really helped Mm. me organize some of the thoughts around the whys and the what's (laughs) and the order of things and the importance of things because they're things that you don't usually think about in the day-to-day world and then it's really taking a step back and realizing the, the implications of kind of the lifestyles we lead and the impact on our outlook on life. And that's why I was asking you about the narrative arc, because I've been looking at narrative arc of separate chapters, but then you've got that overall narrative arc that has to tie them together. My favorite content niche is reading memoirs, people that go off traveling or relocate to a new country and start a new life. Ever since I first started wanting to do that, I've devoured books around the same subject. 
And the ones that I find the most satisfying are ones that have arcs and lessons and inspiration and are not just a, we did this and then we did that and we, and then we went here and then we did this. There's lots of memoirs out there that may be good adventures, but they're unfulfilling to read. There has to be something more than just the diary of events or else it's just a diary of events. It's not a memoir in my mind anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I feel the same. I call them thin. They're thin memoirs. You, you just sort of read them, and it's quite pleasant to read, and then just forget about it. it doesn't stay. Well, with you. It's almost like the the reality television of memoirs. Got no <laughs> substance to them, but I mean they're interesting, and people have written their adventures and captured them, and maybe good writers. But unless you've got that thread, that's there's a purpose for yes. what you're writing and there's a connection between things, then, mm. you know, it's it's not going to have that kind of same sense of satisfaction that when you close the, the cover of the book and you read it and you're like, ah, there's something in it that you can connect to. Yeah, it's it's a complex process, mm. plotting. I, I love doing um, speed writing or fast drafting or free writing, whatever you want to call it, where I don't plan, I just set a timer and write. And that's how I wrote my first 20,000 words. But then you get to a point where right now I need organization and trying to unpick the content that you've already got and then slotting it into this flow. And that's where I'm at right now. So when you were talking about your, uh, your mind mapping and flow charts, I've actually got a post-it note equivalent of a mind map on my wall behind me because I had one common thread through my memoir, which I would call, say, the A story, but there was a couple of other supporting stories that thread within them as well. Ah, yes, yes. And so how do you create that continuity between the different elements within a memoir without confusing your reader? Indeed. And I completely understand why you would have taken some of your content out of Mm. chronological order, because if it doesn't fit, it's better to put it in a different part, because it still happened. You're not deceiving the reader, but it's just chronologically, it wasn't important where it was. It's the fact that it happened that's important. So I think that having that leeway in memoirs makes complete sense. I'm so glad I did it that way. But just the other day I asked a friend, did you notice when you read it that they weren't in order, chronological order? I said, no, I didn't notice at all. Didn't notice what that slightest <laughs> did. So that, that made me feel very good that um, I'd managed to, to make it so that it, it wasn't jarring at all. Yeah. It's often just a sentence or two that links things sensibly together where people just don't notice. So did you censor yourself when you were writing your book? Um, when you were said you you could just write free writing and you enjoy doing that, I can't do that. I would love to be able to write like that because I'm censoring myself all the time, um, particularly with all this political stuff. That's a bit. I, I didn't want to be offending people. In the end I thought, you know, hang on. The people who don't like what I'm writing won't be reading it. Should I really be worrying? But that censorship mind, that rational, that analytical mind is still always, always there. And I did soften things down, but I still pretty well kept to what I thought. Mm -hmm. It looks like we're almost out of time for today's show. 
Well, I hope you've enjoyed our chat today, Carol, as much as I have. Oh, Jay, thank you. I'd love to welcome you back to another show so that we can carry on this discussion because you share some really useful tips today. And, you know, it's good to hear about the struggles other writers have overcome. So thanks for that. Sure is. It's a pleasure, Jay. Well, until next time, thanks again, Carol. Bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to How to Write and Self-Publish Your Travel Book Show, hosted by travel writer Jay Artali. Visit us at www.birdsofafeatherpress.com.